Vix the Convince. Welcome to the Vix the Convince podcast. Here's your host, NewSpark founder, Paul Mosenson. Hey out there, it's Paul Mosenson from NewSpark Consulting. Welcome to the podcast, Fix to Convince. Today, we have an interesting guest who manages email marketing for his clients with a very uh, robust platform. And his name is Sean Finder. Good morning, Sean. Paul, how you doing? Good. Well, Sean, a little bit about you. You're a former semi-professional tennis player. Glad you got out of that racket. See, that's a pun <laughs> of mine, right? But you now you're an entrepreneur. At a young age of 24, you started importing packaging from Asia and selling to top retailers in North America. However, you've always enjoyed sales. Good for you. And data together. And so you founded a company called Exchange Leads in 2014, which helped companies build quality lists, data lists, for outreaching potential prospects. Data. And this was followed by your newest venture, where you sit as founder and CEO of AutoClose. That's auto, like a car, close with a K, K-L-O-S-E. AutoClose.com, which combines both sales engagement and list building all in one tool. Very interesting. So we're going to go through some questions about email marketing and, uh, and hopefully get some insights because email marketing is pretty critical in your uh, suite of marketing tactics, especially when you try to send messages out and get people to convince to open with a subject line and convince them to read, convince them to engage and click and all those other things. But it's all about the process, the data and the cadences and the strategy. And that's why we have Sean here. So let's uh, proceed with some questions. Okay, Sean, you ready? I'm ready, Paul. Let's do it. Okay, let's volley. All right. Email marketing. Why is it so critical for B2B firms anyway? And do you have any research or thoughts about including the tactic as a robust in the robust marketing mix a company would have? Yeah. So, you know, I think email, um, I still believe it is the number one channel, but the way things have changed over time is now you can't just rely on just one channel. Therefore, inside those email marketing sequences, um, I like to call them, you have to do some sort of social touches to really engage with those prospects. And the reason why is people are getting so many emails nowadays that if you're that one person that might send an email and then add them on LinkedIn and try and really get a you know, face to the name, when you start sending those follow-up email campaigns, um, you'll be more familiar and be like, oh, Sean added me on LinkedIn or Sean was on my newsfeed and liked this comment or commented here. Um, so I think it's very important that you use those social touches, not to only rely on one channel, but to combine your email marketing with that other channel, which is the social touch. Yeah, I mean, that is a challenge, especially if you're a small business, though, and it depends on the size of your sales staff. I guess it's their own business process, right? You know, social, email, phone call, you know, part of the cadence. Yeah, 100%. But, but you know, what I would do is I would have a certain amount of days in between those emails. So you don't want to be emailing every single day. But if you do, say, for example, every seven days you want to email um, and you want to continue to follow up, in between those seven days is where you want to do maybe that phone call, maybe that social touch to continue to be in front of that, um, that prospect. And the reason why I like social touch Paul so much is because you don't have to touch them. You don't have to call them. You don't have to email. You don't have to speak to them. 
you really can just like or comment on a post and they will see in their newsfeed or on their phone that Paul liked my post, which would then make me more familiar with you. Right, right. Well, actually, it's a whole nother uh, podcast really is uh, LinkedIn Sales Navigator where you can save leads and, and things like that. That's a whole oh, nother 100%, story. A hundred percent. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's important. Like I said, it's, it's um, actually, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question, you know, since you brought it up about the cadence of email marketing and, and name recognition. So yeah. there's a lot of uh, back and forth I see from companies about who the from should be. Should it be a name, a company name, you know, Joe from NewSpark or something like that? Or like, is there any, what are your opinion on the from? Like this... So, I, I, well, first of all, when, when, when the email is being sent, I always think it should be personal. It always should be Sean at, never send an email from sales at, marketing at, contact at, any of that. Because the most important thing nowadays is people want to feel like it's a one-to-one email. If they know that you're email marketing to hundreds and hundreds of people, it doesn't feel personalized. The more put your, your, uh, your email and your first name. Gotcha. Um, I mean, it is a good practice. I mean, email is supposed to be personal, right? But I know companies do it differently and how they set it up. And I guess it's testing too. Well, hundred percent. But if you see something coming from a sales at email, you know, you know, it wasn't personal. Like they didn't do their research on you. They don't know your industry. They don't know, you know, what right. are your pains and gaze, et cetera. Right. Right. Well, for smaller firms out there, um, there's a, uh, sometimes there's not enough prospects for opt-in messages. And I get that because I know a lot of email programs don't like third party. They prefer opt-ins and your database, but sometimes you just don't have enough to make it impactful, which is why, you know, especially in the States here that there's a number of companies that, you know, sell third party email lists. Yep. So since they're available, what or how does a marketer pick the right list? And um, especially when you want to limit spam and, and junk emails and things like that. You have some tips? Yeah, I, I, have, a, I have five tips for you. Um, but it's funny you asked this question because this question is very similar to the last one we had where we said about personalization, which will also prevent you from getting into those spam folders. But here's what I would say. A, when you are buying a third-party list, if they only accept wire transfers, I learned this in the past, it's, it's a red flag, meaning... Any company that is a third-party validated company, they would usually allow you to you know, pay by credit card, PayPal, some other service. If they only accept wire transfers, usually the reason why is um, they don't want you to be able to ask for a refund or ask the credit card company back for payment. Oh, number, I number, didn't realize that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Number two, um, always make sure they provide you the last validated date. That should be in a column. Therefore, you should know if you are getting a list, it should be real-time validated, meaning it should have been validated within 48 hours. Other stuff you want to look for is making sure that it's not an info at sales at or um, marketing at emails. You want B2B, if you are B2B, you want B2B emails that have the first name and they're the person's email box. If they are the sales at and you're blasting them, these email marketing platforms are way too smart. So you're going to go right into spam or promotions folder. Another thing, as we talked about B2B, you want to make sure you have the company domain. So don't look for emails with Gmail, Hotmail, et cetera. And the last tip, and then I want to tell you a quick story, was um, a spam checker. You can actually go through a spam checker and put your content in there 
and let it tell you which words in your email are actually spam words because people don't know like for example the word great and the word get you wouldn't think but those are spam words but if you change great to good and get to receive they are no longer spam words you want to be very careful um and talking about data i want to tell you a quick story quickly it was yesterday i got a call and um we quote i quoted a guy on data and then he comes back to me and goes well i can get one million doctors for 299 dollars and what i said to him was send me a sample of a thousand see what are valid because it's not about getting those million contacts is as paul said there's no platform that's going to allow you to email them if you have over an eight ten percent bounce rate so you can pay for the million contacts but you can't actually do anything with them so what my recommendation would be is do your due diligence before you buy a third party list and make sure you take those five tips I provided you um, when making that decision. Another tip I thought of actually is, uh, you know, reviews of the company, you know, through G2 and other review sites, right? About, and even Quora, right? And, 100%. Uh, and just say like, you know, this company, this company, I know there's some that are popular, you know, we can name drop them like uh, Zoom Info and things like that. Yeah. But Dun & Bradstreet, but yeah, but you just gotta be careful too, for sure. Yep. Um, so, I mean, your auto close now there's the most popular small business platforms are like MailChimp, Aweber, Constant Contact, yep. um, you know, just tell me like, what are their shortcomings in your maybe unbiased opinion, maybe you're biased, but well, go no, ahead and I, explain I, all that. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to be straightforward with you. We, sure. we use, we use MailChimp and the reason why we use MailChimp is MailChimp is is marked for our marketing. So our newsletters and all those pretty HTML emails that we do to try and engage with our prospect, we use MailChimp for. But what we then do is we will take our four and five star contacts from MailChimp and put them through more our sales engagement personalization tool. So we do use both. But the biggest thing about MailChimp and Constant Contact is when you email from those platforms, you are emailing from their servers. Therefore, if you have a high bounce rate, they will kick you off. With our platform, we actually go directly into your email so that you email directly from you and we don't actually send the emails. You send the email. So we're facilitating that, whereas a mail achievement constant contact are sending it on your behalf. So I would say you need, you need a marketing tool like a mail achievement constant contact because they allow you to do a lot of pretty things with your emails. Um, but you know, there's other options if you're just looking at text emails that you want to get delivered. I think it's a good point though. And I think I wanted to communicate that to the audience that there's certain email platforms like most marketing automation that will send all, use their servers and those servers are basically, I guess, quote clean and, yep. and approved, right. You know, to get, so that all those emails go out at once, right. So exactly. you schedule the email for other email programs out there like yours, you have to, it's sending out through your server and, and people's servers may have limits on how many they can send an hour, that kind of thing. So, and that's what you guys do. So it's really, it's not like there's a, a plan of a deployment, but the deployment, it depends on your list, may take a few days to get out there. So, exactly. is that so, true? Yeah, so the tools similar to ours, what we do is on the back end, we actually pretend like somebody's actually typing the email. Because you know, if you use a MailChimp and let's say you want to reach out to IBM and you want to reach out to 50 people, well, they would just kick you off because you can't, you're reaching out to the same domain. So um, you, you said it perfectly, Paul. Um, you know, 
it, there's certain lapse time between each email and it's want to be more personalized where MailChimp you can, you can send to, for example, our mail list to 20, 30,000 people with one click. Right. So it depends on the objectives of your messaging, right? And if you're doing follow-ups and yep. trying to create a meeting or whatever it is, that's one thing. But I guess if you're promoting an event, like a webinar with a certain time, that might be a little wonky with your system because of the timeliness. We use MailChimp. There you go. So we put our news on our newsletter. We have our MailChimp with our webinars, our podcasts, all on MailChimp. But then the people that engage, so click and watch, then go to the sales team. Okay. So really, depending on the client's objectives and, and their business model, you might recommend yours and their existing tool. Depending 100%. On, right. Okay. Yep. So that's important to know. We're not telling people to switch unless they want to. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's a compliment because your system is more personalized. You got it. Gotcha. Okay. We talk about, speaking of personalized, um, the next question is about personalization. And it's always an issue. Like I know like when even when I send emails and everybody does this, there's always people who might respond to you nasty said, well, that's not a personal email. Yeah. Well, you know, we're just trying to do business, right? And there's yeah. always a few that don't like it. But generally speaking, um, if you can, if you have the time to personalize it best you can, because um, you can always get better email metrics. But, um, but what are your thoughts about personalization? I love personalization. I'm going to give you three of the little tips and tricks that I've used and I've had my sales team use for personalization. The first one, um, video email is very, is, is amazing. Doing video is great because people see your face. So one of the strategies we did to personalize our outreach, um, but not do it one by one is we would go through our database and say, okay, how many VPs of sales in it? And we'll take the name Mike, for example, we'll then do a video saying hi, Mike and do the video, but actually send it to 15 different VPs of sales that are named Mike. One way of personalizing it, but sing it to a broader audience. Uh, another thing we do is we'll, for example, let's just say that, you know, this year the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl, right? We'll actually target from our, our database people in Kansas City and personalize the first line and congratulate them on, you know, Kansas City on winning the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So it looks like it's a personalized message to that person. Then the last tip I'll tell you is when you are doing these sequences, we send our initial email out, but on a Friday like today, our personalization might be just checking in as we close out the week because then they know you're emailing on a Friday and on a Monday, it might be just checking in as we start the week. So you want to make your messaging as personalized as possible and try and hit a nugget, a conference they were at, et cetera, because they're more likely to reply to you if it's personalized than if it's just a cold random email that they know is going to thousands of people. You know, I'm going to, that's an interesting point, but I'm going to be a little bit devil's advocate just because of the way my brain thinks is, you know, how you get these emails and you have your first name in the subject line, right? Yeah. Hey, Sean, you might be interested in this. You know, it's almost like it's like a two-edged sword, right? Because you know, that's an automated tool doing that, right? Yeah. Versus manual. So, oh, that's an automated tool, but it's personalized. I'm going to open it anyway. So it's kind of like these weird wonky, you know what I mean? So... I will tell you, Paul, though, one of the best opening subject lines I get is just, hi, Paul. Hi, Sean. That's it. 
really? opening. I don't get them maybe to click, but I do get them to open the email because they're like, well, who's this? Like, and then they, if you, in your first line of your body paragraphs where you have to really stand out and try and hit the pain point, if you don't go into the first, like when people say hi, Paul, and they go, hi, my name is Sean and I'm the CEO of dot, 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 that doesn't work. But I find personalizing with the, just hi, first name does work on subject lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, usually a best practice is to have a clear benefit to intrigue someone to open it anyway, you know, with a question. Um, here's, dear Joe, like, here's how to optimize your marketing campaigns or something like that to entice somebody to open. I know it's always like a test anyway with email subject yeah. lines for sure. You could do a whole podcast on that. Yeah, I know. So, the, yeah, the only thing I, I noticed about subject lines though is. Most people, I think it's 67% of people open on their mobile device and they only see the three words of your subject line. So I always try and keep my subject line very short because I want them to be able to read it. So you can ask a question, but you've got to try and keep it in that three to five words or else they won't even see the other words if they're looking on their phone. Hmm. That's a good point. I mean, you can't have a, a multiple word subject line, but you're right though. The first three or four words might entice somebody to- Exactly. Yeah. You know, that, that's actually interesting anyway, because, um, because, you know, we always think about desktop, but, you know, mobile's pretty critical too with email marketing. Oh, exactly. Um, for sure. You know, speaking of emails, and we talked about spam, and I know a lot of people are wondering about that and sender reputation. Um, can you explain more about that and possibly ways to um, minimize um your reputation as a sender? Yeah, so you know, to, to, the way to minimize your reputation as a sender is you always wanna warm, um, warm up your email domain first. So what we do is, and that's not something that happens you know, overnight. We actually warm up our, our, over six weeks right now, we're warming up the IPs, you wanna send emails, because what Google is gonna look at is if you start sending, say, 50 emails a day, and now you're gonna to wanna to change that to 250, they're gonna look at that variance and be like, well, something's strange. They must be doing email marketing. But if you slowly move that up from 50 to 75 to 100 and keep going up, it'll help your reputation score. Um, other things you want to do is you don't want to be emailing the same company, five people, the same company right away. If you're emailing the same message to five people, Google and Microsoft, and these, they're, they're too smart for us. Um, so you want to make sure you do that um, to help your reputation and really make sure that you are warming those IP addresses up, warming those emails up, before you start sending or else you're going to go into spam. Mm-hmm. Another things I see, we've already talked about spam emails or deliverability. I know there's tools out there like, I guess, mailtesting.com or what are some of these like programs? You can just Google it, right? And it's actually interesting. They, you put your email message and it's like you're sending this tester and they do an analysis. It's really cool. Yeah. And, uh, but you're right, though. I tell people, you know, it's always a balance of being promotional, but also being helpful. Yep. And uh, so, again, it is testing and everything like that. And part of that is also images and the sizes of images and, you know, buttons and, and, and templates and things like that. Oh, I yep. get it with newsletters and things like that. But, but, you know, sales emails might be another thing. But how do you feel about what do you think are the best performing types of emails, you know, text, text? image mix, et cetera? It's a great question. It all depends on what your, your objective is. So if you're trying to um, just engage and start to get their hand up, 
I would say that the, the mix of text and images on a MailChimp, for example, marketing email, does very well. Um, if you're trying to, you know, let them know about your podcast recordings, um, you know, your blogs and stuff like that, great. If you're trying to take them from the top of the funnel and start moving them down, text email is the way to go. But when I say text emails, I'm talking about not salesy emails. I'm talking about 75 to 125 words max in your initial email and even less in a follow-up email. I'm talking 50 words, three, four sentences in your follow-up emails because people don't want to be reading 18 word or long paragraph sales emails. They want to read something short, get them a point, and you're not going to make the sale over the email anyway, most of the time. You're going to try and get them on a call, et cetera. So those, that's what I would recommend. Um, if, you're, if, you're, if you're trying to engage, do a mixture. Um, if you're trying to sell, do text. Um, but also don't forget about video because video is becoming more and more popular. Yeah, I know. And you have an integration with your tool for sure. I know on the Vidyard, right? Yeah, we've doubled down on video. We've done uh, Vidyard. Um, but not only that, we, you know, as a, even for branding and stuff, we were always on LinkedIn lives, Instagram lives, all these live videos. Because now video, you know, even people are now doing this TikTok thing I saw. I didn't even know what it was until a week ago. Oh, all, these, I know. all these people are doing these videos and, um, and there's no reason why you shouldn't be doing them in email. Yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on the email platform you have, though, because I know with some clients, it's, you know, maybe Vidyard and what's it, BombBomb or a couple others. Yeah, there's BombBomb. But most of the time, we put an image there and you can click and you go to YouTube and watch your video, right? Yes. Yeah. Or Vimeo. But, um, yeah, exactly. But, um, but yeah, I mean, video is always important because at least, you know, that's a whole other podcast topic about. How do you sell video email? Well, not just that, though, the technical side, but also selling your passion. You yeah. know, because at the end of the day, people buy from people and versus and words is kind of like a tease. And then at the end of the day, if you're going to buy something, you are going to talk to somebody. So exactly. So we just spoke about this earlier, but, um, but let's just expand on it with, you know, marketing automation programs that many tech companies have where everything is sent at once. But um, do you have any other best practices on scheduling emails? Um, for your program? I mean, I would just say, you know, you have to know a, um, not only your buyer's persona, but you have to know, are they a cold email or are they more of a warmer email? So for example, somebody that might come from like my MailChimp list or my four or five star on my MailChimp, I might send more like, you know, three to five follow-up emails. Whereas if I'm just picking a, a name from a database, that's never heard from me before and never seen me before, I would send six to eight emails. So I would say, the number one thing about emailing in, in general is persist. You have to be persistent. You have to be persistent, but not annoying. You have to be like in that middle um, because that's what people are going to, people are going to respond to. You're not going to get a CEO that's going to respond to your first email most of the time or an owner of a company. They want to, you know, you're going to have to do follow-ups under the same thread and then keep engaging with them. And they're more likely to follow up after you send three, four emails with you kept hitting their pain point, et cetera. So that's what I would recommend. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. Like we all get these emails. Um, I know you're really busy or whatever, and you can, you get the previews. Like so, yeah. another one of those guys. I know I got on a list, but um, but you know it is marketing, and well, I tell people it's like anything. It's like television advertising. You know, if you're in the market for something or something intrigues you, you might pay attention. If not, you can delete yeah. it or skip it or whatever. Exactly. But, and and so some of that is kind of branding and things like that, but um. 
I mean, it's okay to do because all you need is, a, you know, depending on your business model, maybe two or three people. And if you get three interviews or demos or trials from a mass email campaign, I mean, your ROI is going to be pretty good if you make a sale. So, exactly. That's it. Um, and that's all we're trying to do. I mean, it's sales. So, um, so don't be afraid of email marketing, really. Uh, it's just a matter of don't be too pushy. Don't be too annoying, but do it enough to sell a value proposition and a really compelling message that people will remember. Um, so tell me more about your program, AutoClose, a little bit more, how it works and uh, why it's so unique. Yeah, so it's, it's, it's very unique because what we've done is um, managers nowadays want to consolidate tools. Um, so what we've tried to do is consolidate everything into one tool so you can have your database, you can have your sales engagement, you can have the video email, you can have Calendly and all these different tools in one place. So how we're different is we have the database and own the database that's inside. So if you're a salesperson and you're trying to um, prospect, you don't have to use one tool for the email, one tool to find the data, et cetera. We have it all in one tool under one umbrella. So you can just stay in one place, which I think is important for salespeople because at the end of the day, they don't want to be um, at the top of their computer going through 20 different tabs. They want everything in one place so they can uh, make more money. Right. Um, even though you have that module, doesn't mean, like we talked about, buying a third-party list. You can still upload that in your system if you already have a relationship with another data provider. Exactly. So you can, you can, you can use your own data. You can connect it with your CRM. You can use our data. Um, all the different options are there for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and because these are cold emails, and plus keep in mind, you know, even though we're setting up a sequence of messages, chances are like, I've seen maybe 10, 15% open rate if it's good and uh, for cold emails. And, and um, so the subject lines and just people's timing, you know, it's about timing a lot too, yeah. you know. Um, hey, do you believe in emailing on the weekends nowadays? Because people may be more time. Great I mean, question. And, I say... If it's an owner, a C-level individual, I actually always email on weekends. You do? If it's a manager or below, I disable weekends. So in the software, you can choose your date, but I find owners of businesses and sometimes IT professionals actually are more likely to reply on a weekend than they are during the week. That's interesting test to do because, you know, you could read so much on the internet about when's the best time to send emails and days of the week, times of, of day, <laughs> and you really just have to test it, really. Exactly. Um, I have this thing where most of my emails are either sent, you know, East Coast time, either at um, like 8.30 in the morning or 1.50 in the afternoon, like after lunch, before a next yeah. meeting, right? So yeah, check with exactly. the emails. So, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, testing, 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 right? That's what email Always marketing testing. is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. For sure. Um, well, this is a good conversation. Um, anything else about email marketing that the audience should know about and strategy? No, I, I mean, I think we didn't, we didn't really talk about it enough, but you mentioned it just now and I, I, the importance of testing. Um, always test your subject lines, test your email, test text versus image versus video. Continue to text each person because even who, whoever your buyer's persona is and the personality of your buyer, it might be different per person. So um, I would just agree with what Paul just said and Test as much as you can, and then whatever works, um, just like in Blackjack, just double down on it. Sure. And you do have an A-B test module, right? We do have A-B test, yeah. 
Yeah. Sometimes I think A-B test is not enough. You probably need like A-B-C-D-E testing to test mm-hmm. everything, but we do have A-B testing, yes. Right, right. Well, that's the thing too, right? You can, it's either testing subject lines for open rate or keeping the subject line and testing the message and the offer inside the email, right? Exactly. So, so there's different ways to do it, depending on how large your data set is and things like that. <laughs> well, I mean, this is good. I mean, this is a good overview of email marketing in general and your tools. And uh, I, I think don't be afraid to use it. Don't be, you know, this is uh, people, um, even though this is a universal um, podcast. I mean, this is we're doing, recording this in 2020 and you know what's happening now. So and people are home now uh, as of April 2020. So and they're always want to learn information. And, you know, it's like telemarketing, whatever it is, hitting people at the right time with the right message and to intrigue someone to say this is interesting to solve a business problem. And that's what it's all about. So and if you can turn ahead and get some engagement, more power to you. 100%. Yeah. So thanks, Sean. Uh, this company again is Auto Close. Auto Close with a K. Um, com. Check it out. Do a demo. See if it's right for you. And in the meantime, email marketing does help convince people. So we are here to fix the convince. And thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Paul Mosenson. Thanks for joining me, Sean. Thanks, Paul, so much. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to get more marketing optimization insights. Fix the convince.